Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2 verses 25 through 30 will be our focal text. We will be reading verses 19 through 30 as we continue working our way through the book of Philippians. Why is it that we study history? Why do we read biographies and have to sit through history classes? If maybe that wasn't your favorite subject in school, why do we why do we learn about the past? Well, there are many reasons I think, and one of the reasons that is often repeated is we we study history in an effort to try and not repeat the mistakes of the past. That's a good and worthy goal, but studying history won't guarantee that we don't repeat the same mistakes, as we all well know. But not only do we learn history to strive to learn from the mistakes of others, but we also read biographies and learn from the past in order to be encouraged and inspired by the example of others. For example, Martin Luther, the one of the cornerstones of the Protestant Reformation. Remember that story where Luther is standing trial and he is commanded to recant of everything that he has written. And he says, well, I can't recant of everything that I have written because I'm confident that there are some true things that I have written. Is it possible that I have erred in one place or another? I am a man. I may have erred. And so if I have erred, show me my mistakes and I will recant of those errors. However, he went on to say, my conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything that is anything that cannot be shown to be in conflict with the Word of God. For to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand, I can do no other. God help me. Amen. As Luther made his declaration of standing upon the Word of God, that is an inspiring example for us to consider and take up, to be guided and to be founded upon the living and abiding Word of God. And as we come to and continue to work our way through this section of Philippians, Paul is giving the Philippians examples impart examples to emulate, but also examples that explain why it is that he's sending some and not others. But as he instructs the Philippians, as he gives them these examples, he's not only striving to inform them, but I think he is also striving to encourage them in their faithfulness by considering the examples of faithfulness that he sets before them in Timothy and Epaphroditus. Let's read Philippians 2, 19-30 and see what we might learn 
specifically this morning from the example of Epaphroditus. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him. Not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. From these six verses, I think one of the key lessons that we can learn from the pen of the Apostle Paul is that faithfulness is not easy. Faithfulness is not easy, but endurance is possible. Faithfulness in this life is not easy, but endurance is possible. And so there are three words that I want us to consider. The first one is faithfulness. How do we see faithfulness in this passage? Second, difficulty. The reality of difficulty here and in this world that we live in. And lastly, endurance. There is faithfulness, there is difficulty, and the call when those two are combined is endurance of God's people. So let us see how faithfulness is not easy, but by God's grace, endurance is possible. How do we see faithfulness exemplified in this passage? Most plainly, it's the example of Epaphroditus, the key figure, the the focal person in these verses. Who was Epaphroditus? Well, all we know about him is what's written in what we have read and a brief bit that we read over in chapter 4, which we will come to in coming weeks. We don't know a lot about this man, but what we do know is important because what we see about what Paul writes and his role in the Philippians' service to the Apostle Paul, points to Epaphroditus as an example of abiding faithfulness. Notice what it is that Paul writes about Epaphroditus from his own perspective. He calls him my brother. A pointer to the fact that Epaphroditus is like Paul, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ a part of the family of God. And so they are brothers in the faith. But this term also points to the fact that they are close confidants in ministry, which Paul goes on to demonstrate in the next word. He is a fellow 
worker. Not only is he a brother in the faith, but he is also a fellow laborer, a fellow worker. That is, he is one who works as I do for the sake of the gospel in obedience to Christ. He is one who is striving to be a faithful minister. But not only a faithful brother, a faithful worker, but a faithful soldier. A faithful soldier. The military language, yes, pointing to the fact that both Paul and Epaphroditus are in a battle, in a battle together. And what battle are they in? They are in a spiritual battle. And they are a part of God's people who are striving to stand firm, to remain faithful in the face of the onslaughts of the evil one and in the face of a fallen world rebelling against God. And here we see what we will again see later. That is, that faithfulness is not easy. Because war is not easy. And there is a spiritual battle that, like Paul, Epaphroditus is engaged in. But it's not just Paul's commendation of him. But the Philippians, in how they have utilized him, also have recognized that He is one who is faithful. Because how have they used Him? What has been His role? Well, He has been the one to carry the gift from the Philippians to the Apostle Paul as he is in prison and in need of the support of outsiders, of those who are friends and and co-laborers with them. Epaphroditus has been entrusted with the monetary gift that they have collected and have sent to the Apostle Paul. There were no armored trucks. There, there, it was not possible to wire the money to the Apostle Paul. We, Many of you know that we recently closed on the house that we were living in and purchased a new house and in God's providence, those closings happened on the same day. And there was a transfer of funds from the sale of our former house that we're still in and our new house, and we never saw a penny of it because it happened by secure wire. Now, our, our realtor made plain that if you need to wire money, you need to call before you wire that and make sure that everybody's numbers are correct. Because this is the way fraud happens. Her point was, this is a secure way to transfer money as long as the numbers were correct. Such was not the case 2,000 years ago. Epaphroditus, it wasn't even possible for them to write a check. Epaphroditus had to carry the money to the Apostle Paul. Now, he probably did not travel alone based on what was common practice and also other details that we have, but nevertheless, he was set apart as a key carrier of this gift from them to the Apostle Paul. This indicates 
that they saw Epaphroditus as trustworthy, as reliable. We see elsewhere in the Scriptures where the Apostle Paul encourages the churches to set apart individuals of good report, known to be faithful, to be carriers of such offerings. The Philippians, by their act, demonstrate that they recognize the faithfulness of Epaphroditus. The Philippians have demonstrated their own faithfulness. We've talked about this before, and we're not going to labor long here, but the Apostle Paul recognizes this congregation as faithful co-laborers, partners in the Gospel. And he's writing to encourage them in that faithfulness, to celebrate that faithfulness, and to prompt continued faithfulness. The Apostle Paul himself is an example of faithfulness throughout his ministry not swerving from the right or to the left, but as he writes to the Corinthians, seeking to know only the cross of Christ, to proclaim the good news of Christ from His conversion to His death. So that as he comes to the end of his life and he writes that second letter to Timothy, he can say that he has run the race that was set before Him. And that what is laid up for Him is a crown of glory because He has run faithfully. In all these ways and in others, we see demonstrations of faithfulness in Epaphroditus, in the Philippians, and in Paul. We see examples of faithfulness Elsewhere in Scripture, faithfulness intended to encourage and inspire us. If you have your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, that hall of faith as it's referred to, where the writer to the Hebrews recounts multiple examples of godly, faithful people. Abraham, Moses, and others. And as he comes to the end of all of these examples of faithfulness, picking up in verse 32, what does he write? And what more shall I say? For time should, would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. But then there's a turn in the tone. Some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these 
though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. That is, they were awaiting the the presence of Christ and being with Christ. But did you notice as they are commended for their faith, for their trust in God, for their faithfulness. Where did the description of their lives end? It did not end in, and they all lived happily ever after. Some of them were tortured. They were sawn in two. Faithfulness does not guarantee ease in this life. In fact, oftentimes, faithfulness will bring difficulty, will bring trial. We see that in this example of these who are faithful in the book of Hebrews. But we also see it back in Philippians. That though Epaphroditus, the Philippians, and Paul were all faithful... None of them perfect, don't get me wrong, but the trajectory of their lives was one of faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, they all faced difficulty as well. Faithfulness and difficulty are the experiences of the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we see difficulty? Coming back now to Philippians chapter 2, how do we see difficulty? Well, first of all, what does he say about Epaphroditus in verse 26? He has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. Epaphroditus, we don't know the details. We don't know his condition. We don't know how close it was that he came to death. But the Apostle Paul says that he came, it seems, perilously close to the end of his life. He was deathly ill. And when was it that he became deathly ill? When he was on mission from his church to go and support the Apostle to the Gentiles. When he was living out his life of faithfulness, he was stricken with an illness and brought to the brink of death. But not only was his difficulty, at least the difficulty that he describes here, that Paul describes here, one of physical ailment of some sort, but there is also emotional distress that Epaphroditus faced. Why? How is it that he experienced emotional distress? Because he knew, he heard, that his brothers and sisters back in Philippi had heard that he was ill. And he was concerned because he knew that they would be concerned about him and how it was going with him. So not only did he want them perhaps to know that he was sick, but he was concerned about their concern, about their anxiety, about their distress. He was genuinely concerned over what they were going through 
upon hearing of this news. And this is no small issue. There was no Facebook update. There was no text messaging. There was no opportunity for the postal service to get a letter the next day or even a week later or sometimes longer. But that's a story for another day. There was no opportunity for quick updates back and forth. There were updates that were sent. But there Epaphroditus is on the brink of death knowing that his dear brothers and sisters back home have learned that he was ill, and then he recovers, and there hasn't been an opportunity to send back a notice that I am doing well. For all they know, he has either died or is still crouching his toes on death's door. And so he is concerned about them. But also there are the Philippians in the reverse. They are concerned about what is going on with their brother. And we should not make light of this. We should not think that this is really not that big of a deal that they were concerned. For one, they didn't have the privileges of modern medicine that we have. They didn't have the updates that we have already alluded to. But just think about your own life. With all of the medical advantages that we have, with all of the opportunities for seemingly instant updates, we have all been in the place where a close friend, a family member, has some form of illness. Be it cancer, some other diagnosis. And what do we feel? What do we experience? Concern. Anxiety. Helplessness. Because we are unable to do anything about in ourselves what is plaguing them. How much more would that have been the case for the Philippians? as they walked through not only the difficulties that we've recounted within their own congregation and opposition from the outside, but now they have this news of a brother who is facing a very serious illness. This is no small issue. But Paul also talks about his own difficulty. Notice what he says, In the kindness of God, Epaphroditus did recover. But God had mercy on him, that is Epaphroditus in verse 27, and not only on him, but also on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Lest there would be additional grief at the loss of a loved one on top of the grief, the sorrow that I am already experiencing. The Apostle Paul here concedes his difficulty and that it would have been an even greater difficulty had his loved one, as his dear brother, his fellow soldier, his fellow co-laborer, passed from this life because of this illness. 
I saw a comment yesterday that said, Gospel preaching, gospel teaching churches have done a pretty good job of combating, resisting what has become known as the prosperity gospel. That is, the false promise of health and wealth to those who follow Christ. That is a false gospel. And we have striven and others like us have striven to oppose and expose that kind of false teaching. But this commenter made the observation, and I I think he's probably right, and it's this, that gospel teaching churches can often fall prey to an emotional prosperity gospel. That is, a gospel that says, if you follow Jesus, you will have no emotional difficulties. That if you are faithfully following Christ, then there should be no experience of emotional distress in your life. I think the example of Paul, of Epaphroditus, and of the Philippian congregation show that this is abjectly false. It is right for us to grieve. It is right for our hearts to be heavy when we walk through difficulties in this life, when those whom we know and love are walking through difficulties in this life. Now, do not hear me saying that every difficulty, every hardship is a blank check upon which we can write any response of distress. It is possible for us to fall into sin in our grief, in our fear, in our distress. That is a possibility. Which is why later Paul is going to say in this same letter, do not be anxious about anything. But I think we also see here that there is a right concern because we live in a fallen world as David Pallison has said, we live in a world where there are things that we should be afraid of. Understanding that fear rightfully submitted to God. And so we see here that there is the reality in the believer's life of emotional distress. There is the reality of physical difficulty. There is the reality of the weight of concern for those whom we love even as we are striving to trust God in the midst of those hardships. Think about the lives of the prophets. Think about Job. The most righteous man of his day. And as one pastor has said, the man who had, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, the worst day in human history. Think about Peter and John. 
and the opposition that they faced. Think about Stephen being appointed as a deacon, recognized as a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 6. And in the very next chapter, he's standing trial. And by the end of the chapter, he is stoned to death. Friends, faithfulness does not guarantee ease in this life. As we strive to walk in faith, we will experience all manner of difficulties in this life. But, but, it is possible, dare I say necessary, by God's grace, to endure the difficulty as we walk by faith. And that is the example that we have of Paul. But it's especially here the example that we have of Epaphroditus. Do you see what Paul writes in verse 29 and 30? So receive him in the Lord. Paul is now sending Epaphroditus back to them. Receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. He risked his life. He was faithful to the end to complete the charge that he had been given to carry this gift from this body of believers to this minister of the gospel. He was the bridge and he was faithful to endure though he faced this difficulty. And his example is an example to them to continue in faithfulness despite the opposition that they are facing. And it is an example to us to continue in faithfulness despite the difficulties that we will face and in the midst of the difficulties that we do face in this life. If, if we look to our circumstances to empower our faithfulness, we will fall short every time. If we are looking around for a pleasant state of existence, if we are looking around for everything to fall in place, and then we will be faithful, friends, we will never pursue faithfulness. Because in a fallen world, there were always be some form of difficulty. Now, I do not mean to be chicken little. Suggesting that the sky is falling. Because there is hope. Because there is the power of God to endure in Gospel faithfulness until we see the Lord Jesus Christ. So friend, if you are here this morning and you don't know Christ by faith, the challenge of this passage is not to pull up your bootstraps and do a little bit better this afternoon. The call of this passage and of every biblical passage in one form or fashion or another is to let go of the bootstraps 
to lay down any claims to self-righteousness, to self-empowerment, to lay down of any claim of being able to make yourself acceptable to God, and to recognize your need for a Savior. And to recognize that forgiveness can only be found in the Lord Jesus Christ who has been put to death and raised to new life so that we might know forgiveness and life in Him. And to turn to Him by faith. Seeking to follow Him with the rest of your days. And then pursue faithfulness. Trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ at every step along the remainder of life's journey. So that if today you don't know Christ, flee to Him. Go to Him. Turn away from your own claims to self-righteousness and self-independence and declare your desperate need to be rescued by the saving love and mercy of Christ. To those of us, those of you who are striving to follow Christ, and you say, Pastor Greg, you're right. As the Lord Jesus said, in this world we will have trouble. And right now, I'm feeling the weight of that trouble to the core of my being. Or maybe you're not feeling the weight of that trouble to the core of your being, but you know someone who is. There's coming a day where you will feel the weight of hardship in this world. How do we respond? How do we respond? There are a few things hinted at in this text and elsewhere that I think enable our endurance as we strive to walk in faithfulness despite difficulty. One is the example of others. That's what we have in this passage. The example of Epaphroditus' faithfulness. The example of the Apostle Paul's endurance despite all the opposition that he faced. And this is one of the things that I so love about being a part of a multi-generational church. And that is the example, especially of our senior saints who demonstrate by their determination insofar as they are able to be here when their health allows for it. Some of you are going through chronic difficulties. And the very fact that you got out of bed this morning and made it here was a laborious effort. But being with God's people and singing God's praises is such a priority for you that you were determined to be here. Your example is an example for us all. And I know that there are those of you who are joining on the live stream right now who are saying, Pastor Greg, if I could, I would. So I'm not saying anything about those who are unable to be here. I understand those realities and limitations. But I also know that 
there are those of you, by your example, you are a testimony to us of enduring faithfulness despite significant challenges in your life. The example of others also extends to the hymns that we sing together. I know for some of you who have walked through challenges, the hymns of the faith have been buttresses to your soul. And what do we have in the hymns of the faith? Not all of them. You know some of the stories of the hymns, but many of them are witnesses to trusting in the Lord despite severe difficulty in life. And so when we sing the hymns that we sing that are rooted in biblical truth, we are singing the words of another that are examples for us of how it is to sing praises to God, to rest our hearts in the promises of God, even in the face of the storms of life. These examples are enablements, are gifts to empower our faithfulness through the difficulties of life. But beyond these, and I would say underneath these, are two other things. And truly, the only fully reliable empowerments to faithfulness in the face of difficulty. One is the character of God. The character of who God is. Jerry Bridges in his book, Trusting God Even When Life Hurts, points to two aspects, points to three, excuse me, aspects of God's character that will empower endurance through difficulty. One is the goodness of God. The goodness of God. Because when we walk through hardships, those hardships tempt us to think that there must be some aspect of God that is not good if He would allow us to walk through this. But the Scriptures testify that God is completely good. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. Psalm 145.9 The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in Him. The Lord is good, despite what your circumstances may be saying to you. This is why we need the Scriptures to help us interpret what we're going through. God is good from start to finish. But also, God is wise. We walk through hardship and we think, does God know what He's doing? Does He have any clue what's going on? The Scriptures testify that not only is God good, but He is perfectly wise. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. And how inscrutable His ways. Romans 11.33 But not only is God good, not only is He wise, but He is powerfully reigning over all things. 
And all three of these are absolutely necessary to know and cling to when the storms of life erupt. That in the midst, God is good. That He is wise. That He knows what He is doing. And that though it feels like your life is out of control, your life is never out of the control of the good, loving, wise, reigning God. So that whatever it is that you're walking through right now, and I know that some of you are walking through unspeakably difficult things, God is still good. He is still wise. And He is still ruling over all things well. And He can be trusted. He can be trusted because of His character, but also because of the precious promises that He has made that find their yes and amen in Jesus. What are the promises of God to cling to in the difficulties of life that will fuel our endurance of faithfulness? The promise of His presence. That He is always with His people. Remember what the Lord Jesus Christ said when He was departing. I will be with you to the end of the age. He told His people. And we have the promise that by faith in Christ, when we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the promise of God's presence by the presence of His Holy Spirit with us. The promise of God's presence in whatever it is that you are walking through right now. The promise of His protection. We're not going to read it, but note down John 10, 25-30. Jesus says that if you are His, there is absolutely nothing that can snatch you from His or His Father's hand. Because of their power. Because of their might. The promise of God's continued work, which we have already seen earlier in Philippians. He has begun a good work and He will complete it so that no matter what you are facing, He is at work accomplishing His purposes even when there is no way that in our human intellect we can fathom apart from the guidance of Scripture that this would be true. But because, of, because God has promised that He is always about His work, we can trust that when life feels like it has turned upside down, God is still holding us right side up as He has promised to hold us. We have the promise of His presence, the promise of His protection, the promise of His continued work. And lastly, we have the promise of eternity. The promise of eternity with Him if our hope is in Christ. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul reflects here on his own afflictions. A letter written around a similar time period in Paul's life as book to the Philippians. Notice what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. 
persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life is in you. Paul here is describing his own afflictions. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. As Paul felt the crushing weight of life in a fallen world, where was his gaze set? His gaze was set that on this, that even these afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. Hard as life can be. Hard as life can be. And many of you know the hardships of life much more poignantly than I do. The hardships of life ultimately pale in comparison to the promise of eternity with the King who has come and conquered sin and death. So friends, let us remember the character of God. That He is good. That He is wise. That He is reigning over all things. And let us cling to the promises that He has made. The promise of His presence. The promise of His protection. The promise of His ongoing work. And the promise of a perfect eternity with Him. Let us endure as we look to Christ by faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we we come to You once again this morning. Father, none of us can know. None of us can know all of the details of one another's lives. And all of the challenges that we have walked through, all of the challenges that we face in this moment right now, and all of the challenges yet to come. But Father, thank You. Thank You that even though we even ourselves do not fully understand all that it is that we are going through and all that we 
are experiencing right now in this life. Father, we can have the hope and the promise that you know full well, that you know every detail, and that you are reigning well over every corner of our lives. Father, thank you that we can trust your goodness. Thank you that we can trust your wisdom. Thank you that we can trust your powerful hand. Thank you, Father, that we have your promises to cling to. Thank you, Father, that we have a gift, the gift of a community of faith to walk arm in arm with us as we walk through the challenges of life. Father, help us to grow in bearing one another's burdens in this life. Help us to grow in resting in You. Help us to grow in remembering the Lord Jesus Christ who declared, Come to Me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Father, help us to know and help us to proclaim the true rest that is found by faith in Christ and in Christ alone. In His name we pray. Amen.